This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code pedsdoc that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c He doesn't know if he wants a hug. He doesn't know if he wants to hit you. He doesn't know his body right now is taking all of his emotions and doing what he just feels is right, which is let me take all my emotions and either for some kids throw myself on the ground and for other children, the aggression, right? The physical act of my emotions. Welcome back to the show. I am Dr. Mona and we are here because of you, your reviews, the way that you share these episodes. This is how the Pete's Doc Talk podcast continues to grow. And I know 2023 is going to be our best year yet. So in order for us to continue this momentum, you have to continue leaving those reviews and sharing this podcast. On this episode of Monday Mornings with Dr. Mona, I welcome Joy, who is a mother of a two and a half year old, almost three year old. And we're chatting all about his aggression. Is his aggression normal? And also strategies to managing that aggressive child. So tune in for the conversation. Hey, Joy, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Tell me what is on your mind today as a mom? So I have an almost three-year-old a few months from now, and he's just very aggressive and active. So he loves to hit and poke and grab and all the things, and it seems never-ending. And I'm just wondering if that's normal. Mm, Yes, I'm so glad that we could chat about this because toddlers by nature can be very aggressive in terms of the poking, the grabbing, the hitting, all of that stuff that you're describing. And because it's a very almost innate thing that that's how they kind of communicate and get attention and also just express their emotional desires through physical acts of, you know, hitting, kicking, all of the stuff that you said. But yes, there is a question of how much is too much and when is it not becoming normal? And how old is your child? He's just past two years, eight months. So he'll be beginning of May. Yeah. And so when we get into this discussion, knowing the age is very important too, right? Because a two years, eight months, absolutely, this could be in line, but we'll get into more when we talk about this. A five, six-year-old, right? It would be a little bit different, but let's get into it a little bit deeper. What has been, I guess, the hardest or most frustrating aspect of this? Because, you know, like I like having moms come on because we get to chat about the real deal, not just the information, but why is this hard for you? It's hard because I feel like we're doing everything we've Mm -hmm. been told to do. We've talked to the pediatrician, we've implemented tips from your podcasts and other influencers, and I feel like we're doing everything we can. And I just don't know if I'm missing something or is he just doomed to be this very mean child? Mm -hmm. No, yeah, no. (laughs) He's a great kid. Yes. I feel like I'm not doing enough to either hear him or understand him. And there's something that we're not doing and not picking up on. And that's concerning. So I just want to make sure it's normal. How can we do better to make sure that we're treating him the best way we can? 
And so many times with our children, when they're going through anything, whether it's a medical issue, whether it's a behavioral concern, that is a common thing that I think every parent can relate to is that, am I doing enough? Am I doing, you know, crossing my T's, dotting my I's? And you are, you know, not only are you consuming information from obviously my resources, but other resources as well, talking to your pediatrician, but you're taking your time today to really chat with me, which I really appreciate. And I know you're doing a lot of the mental work when you're not even looking things up, right? Like thinking about, hey, what do I do in this situation? Should we pivot? Should we change something? Is it something that we can do? And many times it's you know, getting to the conversation of, do we need that extra evaluation, that extra help, whether it's with this issue or whether it's with speech or whether it's with something else related to our child. And that is what I like to advocate for that. This is why those resources exist, right? So we'll get into that. Now, I want to ask because, you know, two years, eight months, right? At the time of this recording for your child's age, developmentally, we are seeing in terms of milestones, like reaching social milestones, like how he interacts with you, also more so like language communication and cognitive, like understanding, like being able to put puzzle pieces together or, you know, stack cups or play with toys appropriately. Are we seeing that with him? Yes, everything's awesome. on par for language and mental and cognitive development. Yes. Perfect. And then in terms of school, he does attend a preschool, correct? He does. He's in full-time daycare. Yes. Yeah. And how is his aggression concerns there? Do you feel like they're similar, worse, better than what they are at home? Similar. He tends to be the worst with mom, but he Mm -hmm. is similar in general at daycare as well. Okay. So this is all really important background information when we kind of decide, okay, how much is too much? One is the developmental question that I had. I'm really happy to hear that there is things that are going, you know, according to milestones. Before we even chat, let's talk about this earlier, is if we're dealing with a situation where there's concern with development, perhaps delayed language, perhaps motor skills, perhaps cognitive development, there definitely is a conversation on, is this some sort of developmental concern such as autism or something with neurodiversity? Because we want to just make sure if that's the case, that we do get the resources appropriate for that child's neurodiversity. Because when a child's neurodiverse, and neurodiversity for anyone who's unfamiliar, is our brain works a little bit differently. And all of us, in a way, are diverse in the way our brains work. But when we talk about neurodiversity, these are things like autism, ADHD, um, sensory processing disorders, that maybe there is something that we need to add for that child in forms of official therapy. It sounds like we don't need any speech for your child. It sounds like he's on par. So this is also good to hear when we continue this discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of how you have been approaching a situation. So I would love to hear, like, I have a feeling you're doing everything because you just said you were, but let's say you're with him and he throws, what is happening in those situations? You mean what caused it or what are we doing? Um, Let's do what caused it, like an example, like the last time it happened, like what was the trigger if there was one? And then how did y'all handle it? Yes, exactly. A common trigger might be, I mean, we're we're in potty training mode. Oh, yes. um, Still working on some of the parts of it, but it'll, we'll tell him he's not very good at self-initiating. So we'll tell Mm -hmm. him to go potty, Benji, and he will take his toy and just throw it across the room. Mm. Uh, Natural consequence, he loses the toy, gets put away, becomes a tantrum. Ultimately, he will go to the potty or we do the one, two, three magic technique sometimes where we'll count to three, Mm -hmm. um, a timeout. He'll scream that entire two minutes and then he'll be over it. And we don't address it in the moment because it's not the time to do that when he's anxious, but eventually he'll go potty and that's the end of that. So it's a little bit of 
he didn't get his way and that's understandable, but we're putting mm-hmm. the boundary down and he didn't like it. So he throws it and I try to handle it calmly, I think, where we're not screaming back at him. Right. That, you know, doesn't help the situation, but that's where we land. And it's just kind of lather, rinse, repeat all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely no aggression from your guys' standpoint, correct? Like, obviously, there's no hitting, there's no bite, there's nothing going back at him, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. I assume so, but I just want to make sure that is something extremely important, right? That there is in any parenting situation, if a child's being aggressive, hitting, kicking, biting, that we're not using any sort of physical reprimanding or physical threats situation. That's very, very important. Now let's talk about the timeout situation. Is it a natural consequence situation or related where it's like, Hey, you threw the toy. It's time to take a little break and it's time to take a little time out for ourselves. Or is it a if you do this again, you're getting a timeout. What would you say that it's kind of gearing towards for the timeouts? I think in that situation I described, it's both the natural consequence, the toy gets taken yeah. away, we don't throw our toys. And then when he continues to tantrum and not do what he was asked to do, that's when we start the counting that he knows now we've moved on from one issue to the next. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yes. So one thing I will say that what we can try to do, I don't mind the counting strategy, but I wonder if in a child who already is kind of in this sort of aggressive cycle, do you feel like that makes him nervous? I don't know if you can tell, but do you feel like it makes him like more agitated when there's counting happening? Oh, definitely. Because I yeah. He gets scared. Yeah, we get to three and there's a timeout and he's not like that. Yeah, and I know there's so many different methods out there. In a situation where we're dealing with a child who is in an aggressive kind of cycle, you already did your natural consequence of the, hey, you threw your toy, I have to take the toy away. And then you take the toy away. And if he ends up continuously throwing himself on the ground, then we obviously deal with that with, hey, I see that you're really upset. I want you to take your time. I'm right here versus the counting, because I do believe that the counting can be very stressful to the child who is more like, oh my gosh, like this is not something I want to do. Like, I don't want to be in timeout. Like it's scary. Like, I don't want to do that, right? If we're going to do a timeout, I would do it in the way where we say, hey, you threw your toy, you do the natural consequence and he still is not listening. Hey, you threw your toy. I think it's time that we take a little time for ourselves. It's almost like that's how we cycle into the timeout versus the one, two, three counting. It's like, hey, you did this. So now we're going to go take a moment to decompress. That's kind of how I like to look at timeouts as not a, it's going to happen. You better be ready. It's more like, hey, this happened. So let's all just take a moment and we're going to sit and you sit with him and I kind of do like a modified timeout time in where it's like, hey, you can take a moment, sit on this chair. I'm right here. I'm not like leaving the house. I'm going to be here with you. But you just need a moment. And maybe I need a little moment too to just breathe it out, compose ourselves. And that's kind of how I would pivot those moments of how we are using the timeout more so as a here's what's happening versus a hey, countdown, let's do this, right? Because that can actually feel to the toddler brain as a threat, meaning, oh my gosh, like this is happening. Like the one, two, three method, I see it happen. Like I see it work for some children, but if it's not, and we've tried it, then I would say, let's try to pivot to something more. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom 
chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with Factor meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious Factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Is there a lot of, around these times of big feelings, aggression, does he have a desire for physical touch or is he more of that child who wants to push away when he's feeling overwhelmed? Because there is a reality that some kids can be like that. I'm not quite sure how to answer and here's why. If he starts to come at me, he likes to pinch me, grab me, whatever. Yeah. I will remove myself, say, okay, we don't get, you know, keep your body to yourself. Mommy's going to move away. Mm-hmm. And if I move away, he charges at me and comes yeah. in. But if I try to grab him and say, okay, let me just hold you. Let me calm you down. He pushes and tries to get away. So it's an interesting push-pull dynamic. Yeah. I love that we're having this conversation because I don't think on a lot of resources out there, they don't talk about this scenario of that child who's in the middle. Like, and I've been there. I've been with a child who I'm trying to give the physical love and attention and hold space with them, but then he pushes. And then, like you said, the other times, like they're like all over you and you're like, okay, what's happening? So here's what I'd want you to kind of consider in this situation. His brain is very dysregulated at this moment, right? We have to respect the fact that he does not know what he technically wants in dysregulation, correct? So he doesn't know if he wants a hug. He doesn't know if he wants to hit you. His body right now is taking all of his emotions and doing what he just feels is right, which is let me take all my emotions and either for some kids, throw myself on the ground and for other children, the aggression, right? The physical act of my emotions. That's kind of how I like to describe this, right? This is him trying to communicate with you that I'm very upset at this situation. And even though I have language, my toddler brain, which is very natural for a two-year, eight-month-old, does not know how to process all of this stuff happening. And I'm just going to hit. So I do like a situation where I will always, always, even when Ryan went through a phase of being like very upset and starting to kind of pound on the chest situation, if you're physically able to hold him in a big bear hug, I do like that as a preference until the body calms down. And one thing to say when you are holding him, and I'm sure you've done this, is 
the words and tone that you're using. I get that you're upset. I get that you're dysregulated. I understand all this is happening, but I'm going to hold you until your body relaxes in my arms, right? And if you are feeling unsafe, and I have to be clear here, if you're feeling like he's going to truly hurt you because they can be strong, I'll give you an example, like maybe you had a surgery, maybe you hurt your leg or you can't sit on the ground. Like there's certain situations where you can't hold a two and a half year old and you're going to feel like you're going to get hurt. And in that situation, what I would want is what you just said. You are going to move yourself and you're going to protect your body and say, hey, sweetie, I'm going to protect myself like you are. I love you and I'm here for you. I know you're very upset right now. And like you said, but I will not let you hit me, but I'm not leaving you. Because in times of aggression, it's really hard with our children because you don't want to get hurt. I agree with you. You don't want to get hurt, but you have to kind of in a way protect your body, protect your space, but also make them either through the hug or through you not leaving them, understand that I am not going to leave you in your time of vulnerability. Like even if it means, let's say you have a a living room and you're putting him in a chair for a modified time out and saying, I know you're really upset. I'm going to take a moment. Mommy's going to step back right here until you're feeling better. But if you need a hug, I'm here. And I would get in the cycle of if you need a hug, I'm here. If you need some space, you can have it too. We did this a lot early on because Ryan also went through it early, like very early with the more physical tantrums. And at first he had no idea. He was like, I don't know if I want a hug. I don't know what I want. But with the repetition, they finally, as they get older, they start to realize, actually, you know what? I maybe do want this hug. Like maybe that's what's going to make me feel better. And it's our responsibility to offer it, but also protect ourselves. And I respect that, but also just repeating it. I see that you're upset. You can either take your time or I can give you a hug. Right. And that's, what's going to help a lot with that sort of emotional safety that I think he kind of needs right now when he's feeling dysregulated and you know, that one, two, three, and also all the things that we add can also escalate you, right. When you start to count down, like it can feel the whole situation's escalating. What we're trying to do here is de-escalate an escalated child, right? We're trying to get him to a point where letting the storm pass. And that is on us to kind of say, how am I going to protect my body? But also, how am I going to let this child know that I'm not going to go anywhere when he's upset? Like, I'm actually going to either be face to face with him if he's not punching me in the face, or how am I going to like be in the same space or vicinity but also protect my body. And I think that is going to be, I think, a big thing that you'll see, you know, he's two and a half or two years, eight months. In the next six months, there is a lot of developmental change that's going to happen. And I think a lot of that change is starting to really, really connect all of this that we're putting together, right? My caregiver is there with me, even though I'm upset, they still love me, they still love me. And that is something that I want to continue to add is the praise and the love and the positive reinforcement when the aggression is not happening, right? So that they always remember that even though they're having these really big moments and it's not easy for us, that I'm going to praise you for other small things, whether he helped you put a sink in the dish, whether he did all these little things in the day, I want you to fill his brain and those neurons with all the things that he is doing right. You were so gentle with mommy. You gave mommy a hug and it made me feel really good. You gave the dog a big pat on the back and that is so sweet. You want to really pivot all of the use of his body that is positive like Mm -hmm. petting, hugging, being gentle and fill that positivity. Like you want to over, like over positive, like make it like, wow, like that made me feel really good. And so we're reprogramming the brain to focus more on, wow, my caregiver really likes all this good stuff that I'm doing. And when I'm mad and aggressive, I'm not 
being pushed away. I'm not being like, and again, you can do that with the art that I mentioned, but she's still around. They're still around, but you have to protect yourself in this whole situation too. I am seeing some benefit. I must have heard you reference that earlier in a different podcast. Mm-hmm. You because at a night he used to just poke my face while I was getting him dressed. Yeah. Just poke and poke and poke. And I kept reassuring him and, you know, mommy likes kisses. We don't poke. Mm-hmm. And now he'll grab my face gently and just give me kisses while I get him dressed. So he is learning. Yeah. There's appropriate ways to interact with mommy and poking and grabbing is not one of them. So at least at nighttime, it seems to have resolved, not yeah. but it's much better. So yeah, filling the bucket of good stuff is definitely a tactic we've taken around here because it matters with the cats we have in the house and with each other. And so that is all helping. So that's a good and- point. There's so many things in parenting that are patterns across everything that is happening with our child's behavior. The first one is modeling. Like I've spoken about that a lot before and you know that. So that's why I asked about what y'all are doing when he does do this. Like, obviously, if a parent is hitting back, then I mean, that has to stop, which is not happening here. There's a child will not learn not to hit if their parent is hitting. But in this situation, yeah, the modeling is important. You have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of a two and a half year old who is learning about the world, everything that's happening in the world in terms of language, um, cognitive, like all of that juicy development, their brain is a sponge of everything. And so that is overwhelming for the child, right? You think about how you're learning so much between the ages of two and four, like the amount of neuron synapses happening is astronomical compared to adults that now you're having a child who's being told not to do something when their brain is just over in overdrive, right? And so they also just want to know that they have a safe space with you, right? And that's why I want us to try to pivot away from the one, two, three, and see if that helps y'all, because I think it will. And I think that other aspect of, oh man, that physical attention, and I'm speaking personally because Ryan used to be that child who pushed me away in times of tantrums, right? Like we did this from the beginning, like, Hey Ryan, like I would kneel down on the ground and I'm sure you've heard this method. I would say, Hey sweetie, I see that you're having really hard time right now. If you need me, I'm here. If you need a hug, I'm here. Or if you need some space, take some time. I would give him that option, right? But I wouldn't leave the room. I would just be there. And sometimes he would be like, no mommy, no hug, no hug. And I said, okay, I'm here if you need me. And then 10 minutes later, after the tantrum's still going, I would check in with him again. Like, I'd be like, sweetie, let me know if you need a hug. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. And finally, he'd be like, I want the hug. And so now he wants a hug all the time whenever he's upset. So they could learn it. Some children may not, and that's their nature. But I don't want us to say that he will never be that kid because you already said that you had some moments of that where maybe you can see that. And like you said, the filling the cup with the bedtime kisses, right? Like, oh man, their brain wants to be good. They want to do good by us, meaning... They want us to be happy. They're like puppies, okay? Like, I mean, toddlers in many ways are like puppies and they don't want us to be upset. They don't want us to get mad. The difference is that they have human emotions, so they're going to show their anger and frustration, but they love when we are happy with something that they did. So like you said, the kisses on the face, oh, that made me feel so good. And change your tone in that very calm and warm, like, oh, wow, that made me feel so good. And they're going to realize, they're going to be like, wow, this is something that my caregiver really wants me to continue doing. And maybe I'll continue doing it. Will the anger moments still be there? Absolutely. I'm not saying that that's going to go away in two days, but you're going to start to rewire and prune that brain to understand that what we do when we're upset is maybe we take some moment to breathe and that's fine. Or maybe we get a hug and that makes us feel better, but we're not going to throw, hit, do all that aggressive stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, what's going to really help too. 
Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Okay. Yeah. And your question now about when to worry, I think that's also really important. I know that was the focus of the episode, but we had to talk about getting there. So I would say that if we're dealing, so he's two years and eight months, I'm happy to hear the development is going on milestones and all of that. So here's a few things. One thing I would say is let's try the tips that I'm talking about in terms of more connection, especially when upset. Oh, I know that can be really hard, but doing that really leaning into the positive reinforcement and the modeling that y'all are doing. And then what I would say is that if you're doing that and for the next few weeks, right, because it takes a few weeks to kind of see changes when we start to implement them consistently. If you're feeling like, has any of his stuff caused true harm where you have a bruise on your forehead or you've had like a burst vessel in the eye or anyone has been injured? Has it ever been like that or no? Nothing severe. No. Okay. So the first thing is if a child is hitting or physically aggressive to the point where it's causing true injury, which that's not happening for your son. So that was happening. I would say, let's go get an evaluation with like a child therapist sooner than later. Mm -hmm. The other thing is about public settings or school. So I know you said school is also a concern, but that it's more so with y'all at home, right? Yeah. And his daycare yeah. providers just treat it as developmentally appropriate. So yes. they've been overly concerning. They're like, yep, he, this is who he is. Yep. So what I would say with that is he's still two years, eight months. You're going to work on some of the strategies we're talking about, and we're going to see if that helps. Now, if it's getting to the point where other children are being harmed and mm-hmm. you're also dealing with it at home and you're like, okay, we're now dealing with those true injuries, then yes, I would love for you to talk to your pediatrician to get a child therapist evaluation to just do a full kind of discussion with y'all about, okay, like what's happening in the home, what's happening here, kind of what I'm doing with you, but in a much larger scale. And then the other thing I would say is if after three and a half, so two and a half to three and a half is a big time frame, obviously, but we should start to see this aggression improve in the next four to six months. And even with the tips, you should start to see baby steps. Like I said, in two to three weeks, if you are feeling like, wow, it's gotten worse, like I'm really, really trying to implement some calm connection, all of these things, but it's just snowballed into this awful thing, then I would say it's better always to get the help earlier than later. Because what I see often in my office is that a parent has a four-year-old, okay, a five-year-old, and they are dealing with what you're dealing with me here, which at two and a half, I'm not super concerned, but it's not like, 
okay, don't do anything, right? I talked to you for in detail already because sometimes we say to ourselves, okay, but this is developmentally normal. We're just going to write it out. But there are things that we can do to make sure it doesn't last forever. Like I don't want him to be a five, six-year-old who is throwing, hitting and kicking because by then there should be more impulse control. There should be some more understanding of natural consequences, right? By the time the child's five. So I give three and a half as that, okay, by three and a half, if we are still seeing this, I wouldn't wait till five. I wouldn't wait till four. I would say, it's still there. I want that extra evaluation. And a comment about evaluations, it's always for the best, as we know. And I know you know that because you came on to talk to me about this. But for everyone listening, if you're ever like, I don't want to see a speech therapist or a behavioral therapist or any of this, I really want to remind you that all this is going to do is benefit the family, right? This is going to be something that could potentially help give you skills that you never even heard of. Because to kind of go to your point, there is no course influencer, me in the world, there's nobody that can truly help you unless they're seeing you face to face with your child, because there's an art to that, right? They see and talk to you. So although I love doing what I'm doing, although I love having you on, although I love, you know, all the information out there, every child is unique and every parent is unique. And then when we put that together, it's such a nuanced discussion, like what we're talking about. And it's why I wanted you all to come on the podcast, because this is what is lacking in a lot of the educational content out there, right? The situational, but then this happens, like, what about this? And I'm like, you're right. That's not in a course or in a discussion, but it is a reality. I mean, I discuss this with families in my office all the time. Like, hey, this is a situation that you're dealing with. So I hope the when to worries can really kind of help you. Yeah. Again, I think we're in an okay spot now with the understanding that we're going to work on it. We're going to really maybe pivot away from the one, two, threes and really make it more of like, this is a safe space if you need some time to calm down. And let's say, let's reuse the term calm down because calm down can kind of make it feel also very stigmatizing. Like you just need to calm down, right? You can say, we're just going to relax our body a little bit. We're just going to take a moment to just really reset. Like I rather use that terminology because sometimes, like I said, calm down can feel also very triggering. Like if you're upset and someone just tells you, calm down, calm down. Right. So the wordage, the tone, all of that. And um, I think we're going to see some changes or I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Is there any other like take homes or questions related to all this? I mean, I think the big thing that we can try, I like kind of giving him the reason for the timeout. I mean, he's a smart kid. So having him just sit, you know, by himself without mommy or daddy has been aggravating obviously so if we yeah can, i like the relax our bodies let's just take a break let's breathe mommy's gonna go over here you know offering the hug i love that and i love also focusing on the need to de-escalate the situation right even though yeah. i'm calm and i'm trying to be patient remembering that my focus should be to help de-escalate the situation i think that shift of frame will help me in addressing what he's dealing with i'm not trying to get the behavior to stop i'm trying to de-escalate and yes help him through it. And I think that's important. So, and then we'll just continue over-exaggerating the good stuff and keep celebrating that because he really does thrive on that kind of craze. We can see that. Sure. It's a beautiful thing. And I know that's going to change. Like I see it in my own experience, but also just knowing child development and how their little beautiful brains work and that, yes, he will really thrive on that. 
And, you know, interestingly about de-escalation, like I used to be a resident assistant at my undergrad, right? And we actually learned a lot about de-escalation because of like college students fighting and da, da, da. And yeah, so a lot of those tips I actually bring into a lot of things that I'm talking about, which is really trying to protect your body. <laughs> like I, if you follow me on my Instagram, I joke, obviously, that toddlers are kind of like drunk college students oh, sure. um, and they're dysregulated. Their emotions are high. They're toppling all over. Like it's almost a humorous way of just kind of reframing like we talked about. But it is like if I start yelling at one of those college students like you need to sit down and da 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 it's not going to go anywhere i have to lower my voice i have to really get very low here i have to protect my body like i talked about with you and really just say here's what we're going to do do i give those college students a hug no that's the difference but it's a similar kind of concept of really trying to calm ourselves down and that is an art of this like it's really hard when your child is running at you and about to hit you for you to stay calm. And it's something me and my husband talk about a lot because my husband gets very upset. Like he will start yelling at him back. I understand where it's coming from. My husband's not a yeller as it is, but I know it's very hard for you. I'm not saying that it's easy watching your child run to you, but the more you get agitated in like a body language situation where you're like, stop. Uh, Like, I know we have to protect ourselves, but you can protect yourself, but also say, mommy's just going to put her hands over her head. I won't let you hit me. I see that you're upset. We need to take a moment, right? It's different than, okay, oh my gosh, like get away, you know, like stop hitting me. And that is a small little way that I think is going to change. But like I said, I'm just so grateful that we could have this nuanced discussion about all of this stuff that I don't think is often talked about. Yeah, no, thank you very much. I appreciate the wisdom. I love when I get to chat with you all from the Pete's Doc Talk community. So as a reminder, if you want to join me, to talk with me about a certain concern that you have with your child, mom life, parenting life, whatever it is, make sure you join our newsletter, our email list. And that is where we send out the form to invite people to come on the show. I want to wrap up this episode with joy with some reminders on the big principles here that we talked about. Number one is modeling the behavior you want when it comes to aggression. We talked about how that is not something that they do. They obviously do not hit their child, which is something very important to me. But modeling also means how are we approaching times of dysregulation? How are we approaching those moments of very big feelings? And it can be really hard, like I said, when your child is coming at you and about to hit you to model calm. But that is kind of when they need it the most. So I want you to really start to channel that, listen to a lot of my episodes on this show so that you can learn how to reset your mind, really get to that phase of I'm going to be the de-escalator of the situation. I'm not going to add tension. I'm not going to add fear. I'm not going to add threats to the situation. And I'm going to be the calm leader of my home. The second thing is I want you to remember to always highlight the right. Children spend so much time hearing, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But we want to really highlight what they're doing, how great they are doing, the little things that they do. Like I said, bringing your plate to the sink or when they give you a hug and it makes you feel good. We want to build those neurons, build those neurons so that they feel better about themselves. And lastly, don't forget to connect. You got to connect with them. You got to really show them that you love them, even during times of dysregulation and anger and aggression. You obviously have to set your physical boundaries of you're not able to throw all of those things. But it's also really important to remind them that you still love them, that you're there for them. You're not going anywhere, that even during their moments of vulnerability, that you are with them as a team. I hope you love this episode. I love this conversation. It was such a great way to talk about the nuance of parenting. And like I said, if you want to join us on the podcast, make sure you join the newsletter so that you can get the form to come on. And I cannot wait to talk to another parent next time.
everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.